0: Welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukis. Several times a month, I'll feature a lively conversation with a fascinating and provocative guest about how to make the world a better place through scientific discovery, technological innovation, and economic growth. You're also going to want to check out my Faster Please newsletter. You're on Substack throughout the week for fresh essays, Q&As, and stories from around the internet and around the world. nuclear fusion holds the potential to provide the world with cheap, clean, and virtually inexhaustible energy for the future. For decades, however, the technology was dismissed as a fantasy. But investor interest in a series of technological breakthroughs, including a net energy gain fusion ignition at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory last December, have made folks increasingly optimistic. To talk about the state of the fusion industry, I brought on Andrew Holland, Andrew is chief executive officer at the Fusion Industry Association. Andrew, welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. Jim, great to be with you. Until recently, Fusion Energy was a government science project that you didn't hear too much about, but now we have dozens of startups involved and frequent media coverage of big breakthroughs. What happened? Yeah,
1: it's results, 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 results. This is, uh, it, it is, science is progressing. Things have happened and and kind of on on both sides of the science. The the science of fusion, plasma physics, has been around for 60 years. It's really hard. It's really challenging. And uh, they had to create a whole new area of physics, plasma physics, to be able to understand how to do fusion. They did that for 60 years and it was continued, you know, short progress here and there, two steps forward one step back uh until we got to the point probably about five or ten years ago where the scientists said right we think we know how to make this work but then what's happened is that startups and new thinking came in and applied all of the other technological advances that were out there things like material science um, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, high-speed computing, uh, as well as kind of new business practices, putting those into effect onto what had been this kind of staid field of government science. Putting those two together, and that's where the the real developments and changes and things are happening. So you know we 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 now see over thirty different uh, private fusion companies. In fact, thirty eight members of the FIA now, with a few others around the world that are stragglers, but but mostly uh, thirty eight members of the private fusion community, Fusion Industry Association, of which I'm the CEO. And it's been just this almost Cambrian explosion of different technologies and, and ways forward and paths to get there. And, and everybody's competing to be the one to get there first and the one to get there best. So it, it, it is an exciting time. And we're, we're seeing uh, the, the effects of you know all of this other technology coming into, into plasma physics. Things have really changed.
0: So how significant was that breakthrough at Lawrence Livermore last year both for the technology and also for investor and public awareness?
1: Yeah, it it is significant in that in that in the kind of the public uh, awareness and public assessment of it. I can tell you that that our website had its highest day ever in December when the the uh, announcement from the NIF happened and I can tell you just kind of anecdotally a lot of that that uh, sort of awareness came about. But the nature, I think, of a exponential curve, you know, a a Moore's law type thing where it doubles every year, doubles every so often, is that it's actually, you know, when it's exponential, it's going straight up. But for a long time, it looks pretty flat. So a long time below the level, it's been doubling and doubling and doubling over over a number of years. It just started from a very low point. And so those inside the field knew that something was happening, but it never broke out, never got into The New York Times. It never got into, you know, Twitter discussions. It was all sorts of like inside baseball discussions so it's uh, it's been a completely new thing for the fusion community to to now have uh, have a lot of uh, interest coming into it um, that said though the 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 investors were a little keyed in a little bit earlier since the nif announcement we've seen some new deal flow but we've got about 6 billion dollars invested in, in private fusion of that most of it came in before the nif announcement so investors were looking at this investors were aware of it um we're still we're still seeing some of kind of the deal flow post nif takes some time you know there, there's a lot of um, due diligence that investors do and stuff like that so so we haven't yet seen the real explosion from nif of investment and and running but uh, i think we're we're due to pretty soon
0: so what is sort of the policymaker awareness and reaction uh on this technology
1: we're getting there uh it's in march of 2022 the white house held an event uh calling for a bold decadal vision on commercial fusion basically saying can you get to commercial fusion in ten years, it's a, it's an aggressive target. Uh, our company said yes, we can with your help. So uh, the the White House put in uh, not an aggressive amount of budget. But, you know, in this in the scheme of you know billions and uh, trillions, even in uh, the IRA and various other sort of subsidy measures. Uh, Instead, what what they've started up is what's called a new milestone-based public-private partnership. The government gives pay-for-performance metrics on how to to invest in uh, fusion companies. Basically, the companies will say, uh, we think we can do this, this, and this. And then the government says, OK, we'll pay you X amount for each of these dollar, each of these milestones when you reach them. Instead of kind of the old uh, way of doing a public private partnership, which is you have to ca- account for all the money you put in and we'll give you a fixed dollar amount and, and and all this sort of stuff. This is actually the way that NASA invested in SpaceX. It's a way to promote innovation in the companies while also protecting the taxpayer, because it is still risky in a business sense to put money into fusion. So it's a it, it's a really innovative new model for getting there. The DOE just just put out these awards uh a couple of weeks ago in late May uh and we uh, we it's gone to eight companies, uh fusion companies all all here in the United States doing work here in the United States and and you know we're seeing this as kind of a starting gun of uh, competition around the world. The Brits have an aggressive program for a, a commercial fusion pilot plant. The Germans just put out a uh, a roadmap for how to get there. The Japanese have one. And all of these, for a long time, the government science people have been cooperating together at Eater, which is the uh, publicly funded science experiment in the South of France. Uh, it's expected to, it, it will uh, get net energy when it turns on and, and will be a significant uh, experiment, but it's different than a commercial, Direction and 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 now we see all these these countries and companies racing towards this and and honestly we also see the Chinese making aggressive plans and and moving forward on their own internal pathway as well. So uh, it, the NIF in many ways was kind of a starting gun for this process, and we're seeing it happen around the world.
0: So that you have a diversity sort of that you have government, you have the private sector, and there's also a a diversity of uh, of sort of technological approaches as well. If that's just one thing, right? Yes, uh, there is a
1: huge diversity in technological approaches. Of the 38 member companies of, of the FIA, none of them are taking the exact same technological pathway. So it is instead a a broad family tree of fusion with, at one end, laser inertial fusion, which is like what the NIF did, taking lasers and and firing them on a a tiny pellet of fuel. And on the other end is magnetically confined fusion energy, which is using giant magnets to to confine a plasma at extreme temperatures. To get fusion out that way. And then in between, there's all sorts of other magneto inertial types, which is a mix of one or the other. Some use uh, electric pulses, some use giant pistons, some use plasma guns. It's all sorts of different ways of confining and controlling the plasma. And it, this is kind of what you'd expect in a new, uh, technology is that we just don't quite know yet which is the one that will get there first? Well, NIF got there first, but but which is the one that'll get there first in a commercially relevant manner and then which one uh will then also show that it's the most commercially competitive as well. So you know, while you shouldn't probably expect thirty eight companies to all get there and and all be, you know the, the most successful. There, There is multiple different ways forward, and, and they'll probably all have different markets and different places uh, that, that pick up each around the
0: world, but uh, exciting times in, in the technology, yeah. Whether it's on the regulatory side or the funding side, what should government ideally be doing right now?
1: Yeah, three key things. Number one is the regulation. And so because fusion is a nuclear technology, it is going to be regulated in the United States by the NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. We've been engaged in a process, I have spent a lot of time on this, uh, engaged in a process with the NRC in public that uh, we've been contending that because fusion is so different from nuclear fission, just physically different, like you cannot have a meltdown. You physically, uh, there is no no uh, long-lived radioactive waste. The fuel is isotopes of hydrogen or other not dangerous fuels. So uh, because of the physical differences, fusion should not be regulated in the same way that nuclear fission power plants are. Uh, and over a multi-year process, we convinced them. And the commission, bipartisan group, uh, Republicans and Democrats, five uh, five members, voted unanimous, unanimously in April to regulate fusion separately from nuclear fission. So it will be regulated like a, a medical isotope facility, an accelerator. Uh, this is a really important thing because it allows a lot of a lot more innovation. It should keep costs down. It doesn't mean there's no regulation. It just means it's regulated in the appropriate manner. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is the public-private partnerships that I talked about. I think think it is important that our companies have access to the public programs, have access to the national labs. The researchers have been doing this for a long time. So so be able to work with them, ideally with government dollars. The, The government dollars would pay at least part of it. And then number three is we have to make sure we're not asking for special subsidies, but we have to make sure that fusion gets the same subsidies as all the other clean energy technologies. Fusion just needs a level playing field. We think we'll, we'll compete um, just as well as, as any other technology. Is that not the case right now? It's, it's not clear that it's the case right now. The, the, um, the, The IRA subsidies, for example, don't mention fusion. You wouldn't expect it to. This has come so quickly that it doesn't mention fusion. We think it will be uh, designated as a a clean technology. There's no reason it won't be. Uh, But Treasury has to make that designation. Um, And there's going to be a couple of early application programs for you know, the uh, tax credits for manufacturing stuff that we're going to test that. And we'll see if they they give any of those uh,
0: competitive tax credits to fusion. Um, environmental groups, are they pro fusion? Are they against fusion? Do they view it like nuclear fission? What is sort of that the reaction of that community? Because obviously it'd be very helpful if those groups were very positive about your efforts
1: yeah the the groups are uh, at this point uh, i'd say most of them are in a wait and see mode um uh, you know it depends whether a group is uh, a membership organization which has kind of a grassroots membership and they have to see where their members are or whether it's more of a um you know we we can think of the best way forward we we've had good interactions so far with a number of the bipartisan um environmental groups uh those sorts we haven't seen yet where places like Sierra Club or NRDC will come down we think they're they should be positive about it um, we've made some initial outreach. Some of our companies have have worked directly with their local environmental groups as they, you know, do the outreach necessary to build new experiments and and programs and stuff like that. So it it's at this point still um, uncertain, but maybe maybe an example from um, in Europe it, to see where we are. Because, you know, German Greens basically shut down the nuclear fission industry in Germany. On the other hand, in uh, the the government of Germany now, SPD, so left-wing government, has uh, announced a pretty substantial investment into fusion, into nuclear fusion. So there's a good evidence that environmentalists won't be against it. Now, it's still mostly to be determined and, you know, we're setting the groundwork to educate people, make them aware that this is not something they should be afraid of. Uh, Certainly, we think there's no reason for them to oppose it, but it's it's not my choice. Right.
0: (laughs) When people hear nuclear, lots of them think about radiation and meltdowns. So how do you begin to educate people that fusion is different from fission and maybe shouldn't carry that kind of baggage? it's it's some work uh it's some work
1: and and you know education in the broad general public is really challenging on on any policy issue much less you know complicated science so this is not an easy thing we have to go in with eyes wide open we have to be clear and direct, and we can't hide from anything. We can't, it, it, it is nuclear fusion, right? It is a, a nuclear uh, reaction in which uh, there is neutrons produced, there is radiation. And you, you don't wanna stand next to an unshielded fusion power plant that would not be good for your health. Uh, but we know how to shield it, we know how to protect it, and it will be safe when it's when it's running. But we have to go out in there and, and demonstrate that, and we can't just tell people, you know, it, this will be safe. We have to engage with them, we have to talk to them, we have to understand what their concerns are, all this sort of stuff. It, it's kind of like, in uh, because we're a new industry, we get to start from zero. Instead of unfortunately our cousins in nuclear fission, they're starting from negative, right? So they've got to build it back up. And many of our scientists are are you know also in in fission world, and and you know our companies don't want to see them fail certainly. Uh, but it just seems like fusion has this inherent benefits that will allow us to really expand faster and not have the um, the the drawbacks that that Fission has had. So it, it's all about speed. You know, when, when you talk about our energy problems, climate, clean energy, energy security, it, it's, it's not about building one power plant. It's about building tens, hundreds, thousands of these. And for that, you need speed. And, and that's why we think it's really important to get the regulation right. And regulation is downstream of public perception. So you got to get people to want this. And so if they want it, and you get the regulation right, there's no reason you can't build these things as fast as you can roll them off an assembly line.
0: Should it be part of the energy mix like solar and wind are today? Or is this the technology that will power the future like fossil fuels power the present? I mean, if we get this right, if we get the deployment right,
1: there is no reason that this can't be, you know, the thing that powers humanity for the rest of humanity. Existence. It, there's, there's a saying that, you know, once you build the first fusion power plants, the 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 only thing you can build better is a better fusion power plant. Uh, and so we see that. We know that the energy system is going to be really complex, is really complicated. It's really competitive. So in the early days, is going to have to compete. Fusion is going to have to get down to cost. It's going to have to, it, it can't have the same problems as, as nuclear power or even, you know, we're starting to see it in, in solar or wind of, of deployment. You've got to be able to, you know, build these and deploy these. But yeah, you know, in the long term, once you have uh, fusion, what you have is abundant power. Uh, And ideally, abundant cheap power. And so when you have that, you can do all sorts of other stuff, like desalinate salt water and and get rid of water problems. You can if you've got abundant energy, you can uh, create all sorts of energy dense liquid fuels. So that means you won't need oil. Anymore, You can just, you know, with with feedstock do that. You can do a lot of cool stuff in space. You can it, it takes you from going going to Mars in a year and a half to going into Mars in a month. And that just fundamentally changes this. you can have a shuttle going back and forth between the Earth and the moon. Um, fusion power means that you have all sorts of uh, new options for this, and it takes it from something that you pull from out of the ground or you get from weather. And turns it into something, energy into something that is fundamentally a manufactured good. And that's really cool and and, uh, really kind of changes our our security paradigms, our environmental paradigms, and and just makes it a a real opportunity here to to develop and and move forward in a, a new way. Andrew, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Great to be with you, Jim.